All right, well, today starts what we in our day and age call Holy Week. It's not the right mountain, but we'll overcome it. <laughs> the week leading up to the saddest, yet greatest, most important event in human history. Today is known as Palm Sunday, marking the final entry into Jerusalem for Jesus. The people recognized Jesus as king, and they would break off these palm fronds, and they would lay down their cloaks, and they would wave these palm fronds, and they would, they would lay them down for his colt to ride over, and they would shout, Hosiana, Hosiana, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Luke's recording of this event tells a detail that the others don't. But as Jesus is coming in, people are shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're waving their palm fronds back and forth. He starts to cry. He starts to weep over the city because the people have missed the very thing that would bring them peace. See, the, the crowds, they're wanting the overthrow of government. They're, 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 they're wanting this to be the moment that, that Rome falls and, and the mighty nation of Israel is restored. And Jesus cries. He's like, I'm offering you a different kind of peace. A peace that goes much further, way beyond this life on this earth. It's a peace that leads into that's what he was offering them. And he's crying because he knows the crowd is fickle. And he knows that they're not going to get their way. And the chance, they're going to change from Hosanna to crucify. So church, may we not miss what Jesus has to offer us today. We're on our next to the last mountain for this series at least. Uh, it's a journey that began with Abraham taking his only son up to a mountaintop under the command of the Lord, Mount Moriah, and he was told to offer him there as a sacrifice. Now, I don't know if you've seen this. I'm not getting any certain kickbacks for this, but the, the, um, the chosen people have released a movie. I don't know if you've seen it yet. I've heard some great reviews on this very story of Abraham. Right? It's in theaters right now. Uh, it's supposed to, I've heard great reviews that, that people have studied the text and then went and watched it and said it's really accurate. And, and so anyway, maybe you got to pick it up. My family's going Easter Sunday. All right, so that's that. We conclude this journey next week on Mount Calvary, which as the sovereign God of the universe would plan, is the same mountain where Abraham told Isaac that the Lord will provide a perfect lamb and then for a moment in time, Peter, James, and John, they get to see the glorified state of this perfect lamb. And that's our mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Mark chapter 9, uh, Matthew has it, Luke has it. We're going to read Mark uh, because we're going to get into some details of the second side. So Mark chapter 9, verse 2, and we're going to read most of this chapter um, but first off, 
through 13. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And they appeared to them Elijah and Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written to the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as, as it is written of him. So I'm sorry, it's not up there. Mark chapter 9, okay, verse 2 is where we, 2 through 13 is where we just read. All right, so you're there. Let me give you some details. Six days prior to this event, that's how our story starts. Jesus has a conversation where he predicts his death. And it's a conversation with the disciples that they are not yet used to. And it's the, it's the infamous moment in Peter's life where he gets called Satan by the Son of God, right? Like, I mean, think about the moment. You're Peter, you're there, and you're innocent, and you're like, oh, no, 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 Jesus, that ain't happening. I'm here with you, and the Son of God says, Satan, get away from me, right? Like, it's the ultimate cut down of cut downs. It's worse than any of your mama jokes or anything like that you've ever heard. I mean, it's not good. Six days later, Jesus decides that he's going to take Peter and James and John on this journey up a high mountain. Now, most scholars believe that this mountain to be the uh, mountain called Mount Tabor. Okay, there's actually no real proof. Uh, if, but if you're interested, you can kind of look at the Sea of Galilee. We showed this detail map last week. Uh, you can look at the sea, the, uh, sea of Galilee at the very southern tip, hang the left, look left. Mount Tabor is out in, in that region. Right? Our text says that he goes up on this mountaintop and that he was transfigured before them. Now, I know the word trans is popular in our uh, society right now, but don't think external change, but a change from the inside out. The, the Greek word is uh, where we get our word metamorphosis from. Right? And it says that the change was so drastic that even his clothes were changed. They became intensely white, it says. Now, not now, don't waste your time right now, but I, I, I encourage you at some point in time, do a comparison between what Matthew says here and what Mark says here and what Luke says here. Because Matthew and uh, Luke, they get real descriptive with it, and Mark's like, yeah, there was some bleach. Yeah, it was like Clorox. So anything that you've never seen anything like it before, but uh, he's there. Matthew, Luke, yeah, they get into it. And then Elijah and Moses 
show up on this map. Now here's the interesting thing. Luke's recording of this tells us that Peter, James, and John were sleeping. Now they were tired. They, they, took a, they hiked up this mountain, and they took a nap. And it says that they almost missed the entire event. And so there's Elijah, there's Moses, Peter not knowing what to say, important detail here, not knowing what to, de- what to say, he says something anyway. You ever been there? Huh? Guys have a knack for this kind of stuff. Like, we don't know what to say, so we say something, and that doesn't fix anything, so we just say more. Right? Peter, don't know what to say. Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And so, so why the tents, right? Like, like, like you know, what, what's going on here? And, and how does Peter know who he's talking with? I mean, name tags, I don't know. Moses holding some tablets, maybe. Elijah sitting on a chariot. I don't, I don't, like, how does he know? Are they, are they, is, is there some details of the story, obviously, that we don't know? But Peter recognizes the moment for he, James, and John. This is good for us to be here. Like, I feel sorry for all the other suckers that they're down the hill having to do some other stuff. We'll get to them in just a minute. But man, we're here. And it's good that we are here. And so he doesn't know what to say. So he says, ah, we'll build some tents. We'll, we'll put up some shelters so that we can stay with you. Because that's the purpose of the tent. That's the purpose of this, is that we will build some shelters so that we can dwell here. And you guys can hang out, and you can rest, and you can can be refreshed. And and, and Peter's like, man, we'll just stay here as long as we can. Spend the night partying with you. And as Peter is talking, not knowing what to say, he's talking, God chimes in from heaven. Does this every once in a while. This is my beloved son. And the three words that we need to pay attention to. Listen to him. Now, church, this is a simple story. There's a miracle that has taken place, and there's a lesson within this event. Chris Brown, who's a, not the recording artist, musician dude that gets in trouble all the time, but a minister in California, he said, here's the real miracle. The miracle on the Mount of Transfiguration is that for 33 years, the glory and splendor of God the Son has been shrouded. And for a few moments, Peter, James, and John get to experience the true likeness of the Messiah. <laughs> The miracle is that these three disciples saw Jesus in his non-glorified state for years. Like, that's the true miracle here. It's what's taking place outside of the mountain. And in this moment, they get to catch a glimpse of Jesus as you and I will see him when he returns in his glorified state. The real miracle isn't that they see Jesus in this supernatural state. They see Jesus in the day-to-day in human form. They see the relatable Jesus. They see the come up on the mountain Jesus. They see the let's sit down and eat Jesus. Now the lesson 
photos of this, and there's a lot we could get into. The lesson, though, and maybe this is where Michael at now, is quit talking so much and start listening to him. Like, I'm not going to beat Peter up. You know this. We've talked about this in our life groups and stuff. Man, Peter's always the first to spout off something. Always. And, and he always talks the most. He, he's got the most to say out of all of them. And, and he talks. And, and he's the one that is, you know, Mark is the one that interviewed Peter for his uh, recording of the gospel and everything. And so you read Mark, and, and, and he's, it's always like Peter's in a positive light. You read the others, and they're like, Man, what, kind of, what is Peter thinking right now? I think we're going to do a sermon series on the mishaps of Peter next year. I think we're going to do that. I think that'd be fun. We miss out on what Jesus is saying to us because we don't listen enough. We, we, we miss out because of our very mindset. We do not approach his word with the mindset of what is God saying to me in this moment in my life? We do the same thing that Peter does. We just don't realize it. We, we get into scripture, we get in, and we start thinking about the day's activities. We're going to do our quiet time in the morning, but we're, we're, our mind is already something else, and it's not on what is God's word saying to me. I've already alluded to Peter being called Satan by Jesus in chapter 8, six days before this event takes place. And this is what Jesus says to Peter in that moment. You are not saying your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. Peter was acting innocently. It's noble, right? Like, I'm going to step up and I'm going to defend your life. I'm not going to let you offer your life as a sacrifice. And Jesus looks at him and he goes, man, you're, you're thinking about this wrong. You're, you're going, you're looking at this as man looks at this. You need to be looking at this in the eyes of God. This must happen. And that, a lot of times, is our very approach to Scripture. We look at Scripture through the lens of, how does this apply to my life with human reasoning, instead of, hey, what is it that God is saying to me? So this is how we often approach the Word. We read it with our mind things of man, not the things of God. Because Peter is just up on this mountain wanting to do good. God says, just listen to him. And so like all the other mountain experiences that we've discussed so far, it's not only what is happening on the mountain that we need to focus on. We also need to focus on what is going on down in the valley. God, if you remember, reveals his glory on the mountain, but he meets us in the valley with his love, with his mercy, with his patience. If you finish the story, they're coming down the mountain, verse 14 of Mark 9, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and they ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he is a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, 
It throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So as Peter, James, and John are having their moment in the sun with Jesus and Moses and Elijah with all the superheroes of, of, of the Old Testament, they come down the mountain and they, they witness a crowd. Clearly there's some commotion there's some bickering, there's some arguing taking place. And the Father steps in. He explains. His son is hurt. And he's going to do some stuff right now. And his disciples thought that they could drive out the demon from within. But they're supposed to be parents of demons. in one of those valley moments of life. His son is hurting. He is desperate. What does Jesus do? Demonstrates patience. Demonstrates mercy. Brings him. Now you need to pay attention to the specifics of what happens brought the boy to him, and, and, and as he's approaching, when the Spirit encounters Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. The demonic recognize who Jesus is. They believe in and they know the power that the sovereign God of the universe has. And they don't like it. They, they don't want to be any part of it. They, they, they want to be able to come and go into by cause as much conflict and turmoil in the lives of people and, and, and they want to be left alone. 
How is it, though, that the demonic forces of this world believe in the power of God more so than even the faithful followers? I mean, James, James tells us, right? You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you, exclamation point. Even the demons believe this. They tremble. For you, pay attention to what Jesus does in the night. There's the boy laying on the ground. The power of the demon acting out in this young man's life. He's foaming at the mouth. He's grinding his teeth. He's convulsing. The demon knows what is about to happen. What does Jesus do? He does not immediately cast the demon out. This is a moment of intentionality for Jesus. He, he uses this moment to get, a, to get to a greater issue. And when we're sitting here and we're thinking, what do you mean a greater issue? This father's son is laying here convulsing. What's greater than that? Jesus says, how long has he been this way? It follows up to childhood. He's often cast him into fire. He's burned himself. He's cast him into water. We had him watching. And he's trying to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion, not on my son, but on us, the father is aware of what's at stake here. Not just compassion on my son, but have compassion on us because we are all hurting because of what this demon is doing to our child. Jesus says, if you can. Huh? Like, I really love him. Like, 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 what are you talking about, Willis? Like, if you can, what are you talking about? You know what you're talking about. I'm not one of these guys. All things are possible for one who believes. And notice what I think might be one of the most sincere, honest prayers of all the Bible. I believe. But help my unbelief. You should probably write that down. You, 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 you should probably have that one on standby in your journal. Because the father's going through some stuff right now, and he doesn't know how to handle it. He's done everything in his power. He's even brought to the disciples. They, they failed in two. And in the moment, I, he, there's a recognition of, I still have some unbelief. I believe. Little help my unbelief, and this is the thing that Jesus was getting to. Jesus' church was willing to let this boy suffer for a moment in time so that he could get the attention of the father who was struggling with some belief issues of his own. Maybe, just maybe, if Jesus standing there with somebody right before him convulsing on the ground. Jesus is willing to let this young man suffer for a few moments to get the attention of the Father. Maybe, just maybe, he'll do that with us right now. 
There might be some prayer requests that we've prayed up to God that haven't quite gone our way. There might be some things with our kids going on in their life that might not be going the way we want because Jesus is trying to get our attention. And it's painful. Because nobody wants to see their child suffer. And we spent a lot of time the past couple of weeks in spiritual warfare and the stuff that is going on. And Jesus is not going to make your life super easy just so that you can have a life of comfort. Jesus might be in the moment of letting you struggle and work through some things so that you can grow and increase your faith in him. No, love. Jesus cast the demon out. And he didn't just kick him out. He said, don't come back. Right? Like, I mean, I love that line in this. Get out of here and don't come back. Later on. You know, Jesus, got to have our moment with the disciples. Got to use this opportunity. It's intentionality with Jesus 101. They go off to a house. They're by themselves. You know, they've already been given the power once to go out two by two and cast out demons. And now they're just like, wait a minute. We used to be able to do this. Why couldn't we do this? Why could we not cast it out? What's Jesus say? says, this command comes from prayer. Here's the thing about the orders of prayer. If prayer is a last resort, it rarely happens the way we want it to. But when prayer is a first response, we're in tune with God. And it's it's not, I'm at the end of my rope, help me God. Those are certainly valid prayers that happen sometimes in our life. But when prayer is a first resort and we're praying for things in advance, it's amazing how God's will and our lines up. And here's what I think happened. Thank you for listening. I think this happened because I see it in my own life. The disciples were mimicking the actions of Jesus. And they were actually not plugged into the power of Jesus. I, I, I think that they thought under my own merit and what we've done and who we know, we can do this. Church, we've got to quit living that way. We, we need to be plugged into the power of Jesus. So that when I'm praying for people to experience life change, when I'm praying for people to be broken, I I need to already be praying for that instead of last resort. I don't know what else to do, so now I will pray for these people. So two things for us as we close right now. Listen to me. Just talk to me. Listen to me. Prayer is 
the first response. And then now they have to preserve it. So the Skinners are going to come up and they're going to lead us in a couple of worship songs that we're going to sing. Now. My, my encouragement is that they're familiar. My encouragement, though, is that you process right now your own life. You process the things that are going on. Are you listening to him? Are you reading God's word actively? We had a conversation just last night, didn't we? About, about the number of people and the health benefits that come with reading scripture. You read scripture for a couple of minutes a day, a couple of minutes a, a, a week, I mean, and, and, and there's no real change to your life. But the more you read scripture, the more it's proven that depression goes away with people who read scripture. The simplicity of life changes completely with people who are actively reading scripture. And not just for entertainment values, not just to check a box of, okay, I did my quarter time today. No. People who are coming for the Lord. And they're saying, speak into my life right now. And there's some real benefits to depression. We've been on this for months now. Feel that. What are you feeling about right now? And then, what's your prayer life? You know, it's a story. Jesus, it's all happened through the power of prayer. Prayer cannot be in your prayer life. God, we love you. We thank you for today. God, we thank you for this very simple message of what you're saying to us. God, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for your word, and I'm grateful that I get to learn from Peter. And I get to, I get to learn from the example of the disciples. And I'm grateful that it's provided for us so that we can learn from mistakes along their, their faith journey with you. And Father, I, I, I pray that, that we'll just listen. Not to Michael, but to you and your word. We'll feed ourselves. So God, speak to us. Let us approach you thinking with the mindset of, of God and not man. And that only comes as, as we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then God, may we walk out of here just encouraged and reminded that prayer is not something that we put on the back burner, that we, we exhaust all avenues Prayer is something that is a first response. It's something that we give to you completely. We trust your timing and your will. Let us process that right now, God, as we celebrate and respond to who you are. We pray these things in your name. Amen.